welcome to another episode of Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast between siblings. I'm your sister co-host, Elizabeth Connor. And I'm your brother co-host, Thomas Dempsey. How's your trip been, Elizabeth? Well, I haven't really done a whole lot. I'm in the hotel room. That's good. You're going to be heading up for dinner or anything? Yeah, so once we're done recording, I'll um, go see if I can find something to eat and probably bring it back here. You said you had an early day tomorrow. Yeah. I can't work the numbers in terms of when you would have needed to get up. I get, you want to fill the <coughs> listeners on what's what your deal is? Yeah. So um, I am taking my national board teaching certification test tomorrow. Um, when I signed up to take the test, I had to come to a town like an hour and a half away from where I live. I had, the test is at 730 tomorrow morning. And I had to be, I have to be at the testing center at seven. So instead of leaving my apartment at five 30 in the morning, which means I'd have to get up even earlier than that to, to make it here. Um, I just decided to get a hotel room, you know, try to get as much sleep as I can before going over to the testing center in the morning. Um, Which my hotel room is like a mile, maybe, from where the testing center is. That's cool. Yeah. So that's what you've been up to. You're coming up on, was this your, was last week your first week of summer break? Yes. So this is the start of week two. How's it been treating you? Pretty good. I've been doing a lot of sleeping. Oh, sure. Lots and lots of sleeping. Like, I don't think I got up until like 12 today. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, you definitely deserve it. Well, thank you. I'm also, I think I've talked about this. I'm also taking a gifted and talented class, like online. Okay. For gifted and talented education. So I've also been fairly busy with that. We had our first project due uh, last night, well, Sunday night, so. I'm, I'm glad to hear it's going well. Yeah. Had another job interview this past Friday. And I feel like it went pretty well. It's Good. for, uh, without disclosing anything, it's for the same place I applied to, pre- uh, I interviewed for previously. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a different branch. Okay. So we'll wait. we're still waiting to hear back from them to see if I got either job or not. Then once I know anything for certain, I'll let you guys in on it. All right. They know I have a podcast. Oh, Awesome. So, yeah, if the my interviewers are listening, uh, help me out. Hook <laughs> me up. So, what you been doing apart from reading and um, sleeping? That's really about it. Like, I've kind of started, like, working on doing stuff around the apartment. Like, I cleaned out my mm-hmm. closet and took a whole bunch of clothes to Goodwill. But, like, that's it, really. That's good. I did a, a bit of that. Uh, did the old clear path from your bed to your door sort of thing in my room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still had a bunch of stuff stored in here from where we were making ready to get the shower repaired. Yeah. And that involved a bunch of moving about of stuff. And yeah, a lot of that's still over this way. I guess my sleeping till noon has been Legend of Zelda Breath of uh, Call, Tears of the Kingdom, mm-hmm. which... There's a function on your Switch that tells you how long you've been playing a certain game mm-hmm. to a margin of about five hours beyond a certain point. 
Okay. So I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom over the last three plus weeks, uh, anywhere from 115 to 119 hours. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, uh yeah, that's uh, I yeah, that's a good game. <laughs> yep, and uh, there it's not like I'm fanatical about it or obsessed with it or anything. It's just that there'll be days when I don't even play it. Mm-hmm. And then there'll just be days when I'll sit down to play it and like four to six hours goes by. Okay. So it's very much a sort of thing that sucks you in and yeah, it's a good time. Good. It's also the sort of thing where I can't even really be sure how much more of the game is left. Because mm-hmm. story-wise, I'm about at the exact midpoint of uh, like the main plot of the game. But in terms of stuff there is to do and the impetus to do it there's really no way of knowing at this point so okay yeah it could be a while i have been still getting some reading in good i'm ready to talk about it if you are okay unless you had something else to bring up not really to be honest like now that school's not in session i'm gonna get real boring real fast oh that's awesome (laughs) just saying so uh what's your reading been looking like so um in addition to uh, the book for the challenge today, I read one other book. Okay. And I kind of talked about it on the last episode, but like not really. The other book that I read was I finished When He Was Wicked uh, by Julia Quinn. Oh, uh, yes. Which is book number f- five in the Bridgerton series. Yeah. Yeah, book number five. So far, it's my favorite one. Hmm. Um, okay. <clears throat> So I know last time I said that, like, Eloise's story, which was to Sir Philip with love, that was my favorite one. But this one, when he was wicked, like, this one's my favorite one. Like, you want to talk about... Go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like that's the other one of those that I've read. Yeah, it was. But you want to talk about a male protagonist written for the female gaze? (laughs) Michael is it. The book... Well, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before, but it was a couple years ago. This one, When He Was Wicked, is about Francesca, who is number child number six in the Bridgerton, like, children. Um, okay. And she, at the beginning of the book, she is married to a guy named John. And mm-hmm. he's like a an earl, I guess, somewhere out in Scotland. Much like, and you know, like as I was reading it, I very distinctly remember like you talking about it on the podcast after you read it, and yeah, he oh, gets sure. a headache and dies. Yeah, um, it's very sudden. Yeah, it's very very sudden. Her husband's cousin slash best friend has like always been in love with Francesca. Yeah. So after the death of her husband slash his cousin John, he now becomes the Earl and like. I don't know. I guess he feels like he can't handle it or something or like he can't be around her or anyway, he's like he's like inundated with all of this unwarranted guilt. So, yes. he does what any normal person does and he goes to India for 4 years. Yep. And uh and then he comes back cuz he's like, "Okay, it's time to come back home." And and Francesca has also decided, "Okay, it's been 4 years since my husband died. It's time for me to get back out there because I, I want to have a family and that means I'm going to have to get married again. Their love story goes from there. Yeah, and I, of course I remember enjoying that book, so 
I do think I personally prefer uh, to Sir Philip with love. Mm-hmm. But I did, I do remember enjoying both of those books on a fairly even uh, keel. So that was the uh, any the other book you read for yep. this week. Anything else? Any other thoughts about it? Or I guess the only other thought I have is, you know, if Bridgerton the show does end up like doing a season per kid. Yes. It'll be interesting because so far they've really only engaged with the the first five, Anthony, Benedict, oh. Colin, Daphne, and Eloise. The other three, yes. Francesca, Gregory, and Hyacinth, have like kind of yes. been like on the fringes of the show. Okay. So uh, I read two other books in addition to the one for this week. Uh, the one that I was sort of rushing to get finished before the record date mm-hmm. was one that I actually quite enjoyed. It was just, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, taking longer than it feel like it normally would have okay. to get read. And that book was uh, Nathan Ballingrud's The Strange. Nathan Ballingrud was the author of the short story collection North American Lake Monsters, which I talked about few episodes back Mm -hmm. and the strange is his first novel he's been writing it i think over the course of the better part of a decade on and off it is a western set in the 1920s or thereabouts and it takes place on mars okay so in the alternate history of this book space travel is basically created in the 1860s or thereabouts Mm-hmm. Like, the first person to land on Mars was, like, this astronomer who was trying to, like, avoid conscription into the Civil War. He, like, moved out to Galveston, Texas, and then built himself a spacecraft that got him all the way to Mars. And so then more humans uh, started going up in the decades that followed. And this is one of those sci-fi novels where Mars is just habitable. Mm-hmm. It's just like a desert planet, as opposed to like a place where you'd need a spacesuit to breathe and what have you. Yeah. So there's just like open aired old west towns on Mars, and the biggest one is called New Galveston, and that is where the young girl named Annabelle lives with her mom and dad, and they run the local town diner. Well, one day, uh, Annabelle's mom gets a letter from Earth saying that her mother is dying, or that Annabelle's grandmother's dying, so her mom gets on a ship, and flies back to Earth to see to that. And while her mom is away, the silence begins, which is a complete loss of communication between Earth and Mars. Nobody can get any word from or messages to Earth, and nobody knows what's going on. All the human inhabitants of Mars have just been cut off from uh, planet Earth. Hmm. And after about a year of this, and the sort of I guess, psychic toll that it has taken on the community. Mm-hmm. Annabelle's family's restaurant gets robbed, and her father gets put in jail for killing, if not one of the burglars, but then one of the burglar's associates. Mm-hmm. He, uh, so he gets put in jail, and he's basically just checked out, like mentally. He's okay. lost his wife, he's lost his business, he's probably going to be hung. In the burglary of their restaurant, one of the things that was taken from them was the last recording of Annabelle's mother's voice on a thing called a cylinder, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like a 
It doesn't seem like it's made to be like a wax cylinder. It sounds more like like a data storage device. There's a, there's actually like a pretty dense mythology in terms of like the interactions between Earth and Mars and the history of Martian colonialization and what have you. Mm-hmm. So these cylinders are these things that they produce and on Mars and can function as basically whatever, like a power source a uh, source of information and programming and a uh, means of creating artificial intelligence that can power compute uh, machines in order to get uh, her mother's cylinder back Annabelle and their family's helper robot named Watson uh, conscript an alcoholic spaceship pilot Mm -hmm. and one of the people who robbed her restaurant named Sally to head out across the desert and track down the man who robbed her and get her mama back. Mm-hmm. I think maybe one thing that sort of held me up in reading it was that the f- it's a 300-page novel, and the first 100 pages are all set up. It is a very clean sort of one, two, three-act structure where the first 100 pages are Annabelle's family getting robbed and all the fallout from that. The second hundred pages is Annabelle and company setting out to retrieve what was taken from her. Uh, The last hundred pages are just like culmination of a bunch of things, climax, fallout, what have you. That first hundred pages could feel a little slow. Mm -hmm. Not that it, uh, and I think the strength of Nathan Ballingrud's writing really helps carry it along, even if not much is happening plot-wise. But then about, like, smack dab halfway through the novel, uh, the action really starts picking up. So if you're the kind of person who needs incident to sort of propel a narrative forward, Mm -hmm. then that's really where the story really kicks in. Once I got to that point, I was able to knock the whole thing out in just a couple days, so... Okay. Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I think westerns are an interesting... Uh, genre that I don't really dabble in that much and it's usually a bit helpful when they're sort of like cross sectioned with other genres like this one Mm -hmm. sci-fi and what have you Uh, yeah that gets a recommendation from me and the other book that I read which I was much cooler on is called Love by Hannah Orstevik and it is just like a short little 120 page novel about a mother, a single mother living with her son in like some Scandinavian country thereabouts. And the mom has like an office job that she's just started at. And she's like on good terms with her son. They generally seem pretty happy, but there's like a distance there. Mm -hmm. And the whole book takes place over the course of a single evening where uh, the day before the boy's birthday, the mom just goes out to run some errands and then while she's out doing that she goes to visit a local carnival and she meets up with one of the guys who works at the carnival and starts like this brief little tryst with him going out uh, on a date and whatnot and while she's doing that the boy just sort of sets out from his house is visiting various people's homes neighbors and whatnot getting to know the community and what have you it's a very dour sort of book mm-hmm. even though for like 
the vast majority of it nothing like overtly sinister or even like bad happens it's you're just like constantly reading it under this oppressive notion that something bad is about to happen mm-hmm. and without giving too much away for anyone who i guess is inclined to read it something pretty much does at the very end i mean i guess you could say that that's fine that's what the book was been building to mm-hmm. but after a point you almost feel like the point of the book should have been like the mood was sort of disassociated from any actual narrative circumstance or anything like that mm-hmm. yeah I, I didn't really take to it i'm glad to have read it don't doubt i'll ever be reading it again okay yeah now we've got one more book to talk about and before we do that i think we're just going to take it a quick break yep get a couple of things sorted and we'll be talking with you again shortly hello again it's your words against mine i'm your co-host thomas dempsey and before the break we had gotten finished talking about all of our non-challenge related greeting and now it's time to move on to that uh, elizabeth what was our challenge for this week our challenge for this week um was to read quit your band musical notes from the japanese underground by ian martin and and just to be clear we both finished this book yep although uh something we were talking about before the show is neither of us managed to get a word total from it yes correct so uh we're gonna hold off on adding that to our word totals for this week but uh since we both finished it uh that'll be on par across it so we don't really gotta worry about it impacting the data too much yep first off um why don't you tell us about the book it's basically like a history of modern japanese music kind of focusing on like the pop punk alternative rock genres mr martin who wrote the book is a british guy who does he still live in japan yeah that i'm not so sure about it gave the impression that he did at least at one point okay um but this book was written back in or published back in 2016 so it's yeah it's who's to say like what what's happened in the interim now you like it, it's very much established in the book that like he he lived there and he moved there in like the early 2000s like 2001 i think okay. and and like was a part of the scene like he he went to all these venues that he talks about and he saw all these different bands and he conduct you know he got to know the musicians i think at one point he even had he even had a, a record label over there I don't know if he still does or not. I'm looking here at the call and response uh, Twitter page, mm-hmm. which has been updated like two days ago. Okay. So it sounds like he's still very much working on that. Yeah, his main Twitter account is deactivated, but uh, for his label, that seems to still be going. So I guess he's still based out of uh, Japan. Okay. And yeah, that's kind of what the book is about. It very much focuses on, like, pretty much starting in, like, the 60s and moving forward. You get an overarching uh, overview of big Japanese bands and movements uh, across the decades and their relative confluence and influence on one another. And how uh, and how they to... tie in into, like, the, the larger, more global musical scene. Oh, sure. And the yeah, inherent def- issues that come with that. Yep. And uh, he is, of course, one to, like, 
leverage his own sort of like critical appraisal of various movements and uh, styles and artists and what have you. It's it's not an object like recounting of events. It's very much like colored by his own experience and taste, mm-hmm. which I think make helps make it much uh, more readable. Yeah. Uh, less dry, I guess, than a more academic text might come across. Yeah, I agree. Uh, have you heard of any of the bands that he mentioned? Not a one. I knew of a couple. He mentions one band extensively called Number Girl. Yeah. Who formed in like the late 90s and then broke up by the end of the 20, 2000s. Mm-hmm. I haven't really heard much of their stuff, but I've just sort of been aware of them through other pop culture talk yeah so i also found this book to be very very readable but to me it was readable in the sense of how i might find an academic text to be readable sure because uh, i guess were you going into it with any sense of like this being the kind of music you might look into you know at first i was like gonna do the thing where I was like, okay, well, every band he mentions, I'm going to see if I can find them on Spotify and I'll listen to some of their stuff and then I'll move on. Well, the problem is, is how much, how many bands he mentions. Yes, it is very dense in that regard. I mean, I mean, it's overwhelming. It's the kind of thing where you feel like a curated playlist accompaniment for the book would have been helpful. I was thinking the exact same uh, thing. Yeah, there's not really any like holistic document like that posted anywhere that I could find okay so I had when I was in college when I was a freshman in college and I was taking like music history 101 I had a textbook I had a textbook that came with cassettes okay oh wow that's a if that tells you anything I had a textbook that came with cassettes and it would tell you like as you were reading it would tell you you need to listen to this on the cassette Oh, yeah. And same th- now, same thing when, you know, I got on to, like, the rest of... Because I had to take four semesters in music history. Now, those did... Like, that textbook didn't have cassettes. It had, like, packs of CDs. But it would tell you, like, in the margins of, of whatever it was you were reading about, okay, you need to go and you need to listen to this track number on this, on this CD. Yes. I'm not saying that a book like this needed something that was quite that organized... Right. But, you know, if if there had been like a QR code or something at the beginning of the book that you could like go and it would take you to a, a Spotify playlist, that would have yeah. been helpful. Yeah, I agree. And like uh, and for and it's tricky, too, because uh, in tracking down Japanese artists on Spotify, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are listed in katakana or kanji. Mm hmm. So, and obviously not having means of typing those in, you're not likely to find them unless you look for external links. Right. And that, which is to say nothing about bands and albums that they just don't have. Yeah, it is, it is like, despite the t- passage of time since this book's publication, and I think the, the rising popularity and exposure of bands to broader culture... Uh, it's still like pretty difficult to access a lot of this stuff yeah so you're more so when you're reading about it you're more just like appreciating it uh almost rhetorically Mm -hmm. 
But, yeah, it's uh, it's almost a thing of like how you appreciate a memoir because you're like, wow, I can't believe you remember all this stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. It also concurrently reminded me of a book by Alex Ross. Alex Ross, um, I don't know if he still is or not, but he was the uh, music critic for the New Yorker. Okay. Yeah, um, I think I know. I think I know the book you're talking about. Uh, well, he's written a couple, but the one I'm thinking about is the one I had to read for my music of the twentieth music history of the twentieth century, um, and it was it was called the rest is the rest is noise. Yes. Yeah. This book, like the I guess the way that like the chapters are structured, reminded me of the way Alex Ross structured his chapters. The only difference is that Alex Ross puts more of like a storytelling element into his chapters. Oh, sure. Like, more so than Ian Martin does into his. Martin's chapters were, like, begin with, like, italicized text recounting some uh, story from his past or some hypothetical scenario that he's envisioning within the music industry. And Mm -hmm. then he'll go off sort of on his historical and uh, autobiographical accounts. Right. Proper. I mean, I enjoyed the book. This is a book that if, you know, if somebody were to come to me and be like, hey, we need you to teach a college class about uh, Japanese popular music. Do you think you could do it? I would be like, I don't know, but I have a textbook. Okay. And then this would be the textbook. Yeah. I'll tell you um, why it is I even knew to read this book. There's a YouTube video by a YouTuber called Shoes in the Dryer. Uh Uh-huh. And it's... There's a video, it's only about 30 minutes long, it's called An Easy Intro to Japanese Music. 30 minute video where he takes 11 uh, albums, basically, by 11 artists from throughout the decades, I think extending back to the 70s, thereabouts, just sort of to give people an overview of certain, basically doing what Martin does with his book, and in fact, the book itself was a big influence on the video Mm -hmm. so if you were looking to like explore some of the music in a more practical terms checking out shoes in the dryer an easy intro to japanese music i think would be a good place to start okay so uh i think yeah that's anything any other thoughts um i had some oh okay well, I'll just point. I'll just uh, note that this was the first Kindle book I've read in a while. Oh, yeah, I did look at get that. that Kindle Unlimited uh, subscription. Uh, got the like two months for five dollars, mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, I guess I've got another month uh, left on that deal. So, I'll see if I get any more use out of it. Otherwise, I might just cancel it because I've got enough physical books at home to finish, let right. alone anything I could get on my e-reader now this is just because of the types of book i read but i would say if you are a romance reader or if you are wanting to get more into the romance genre whether it's good or bad because trust me there's Mm -hmm. equal amounts of both then i think kindle unlimited is worth it okay because i know that's how i've been able to read all of the books that i read although they are going up on their subscription price i don't know if we talked about that in the last episode I don't know that we did either. Um, I got an email saying that they're going to go instead of, they're going up by $2. So instead of being nine ninety nine okay. a month, it's going to be eleven ninety nine a month. Whew. Yeah, all right. Which, me personally, now that I know how the Kindle Unlimited, 
how those authors get paid. Now that I know how that they get paid, I don't have a problem with it going up by $2 a month because, okay. because the authors get paid based on how many of their pages are read. Oh, right. So if you read like two or three books a month, all of your subscription is going to, is going into the author's pockets and not into Amazon's. Well, that's good at least. Oh, uh, there it was, we did talk about a bit of the music that also the book goes into discussion about like the Japanese music industry mm -hmm. and sort of the idiosyncrasies of it versus like other like large media atmosphere basically the UK and the US right being Martin's other points of comparison so he compares and contrasts those and draws out interesting um, idiosyncrasies like uh, there was this one passage where he was talking about uh, bands having to pay the venues where they perform. Yeah, that was. I thought that was interesting. Because uh, there's, it's basically like the band, the artists, unless they've got like some special arrangement worked out or have some kind of like in with a label or a promotional like outlet, what have you. Mm -hmm. Then, in order to perform at a venue, they'll have to pay the venue an upfront cost, and then they'll get like a percentage of whatever profits are generated the evening of their show you know what uh so it's basically like it, it's you know basically what, like a cover charge for the band you know what industry has a very similar uh format to that what's that strip clubs uh huh i don't i did not know that strippers have to pay to dance and then they and then hopefully what they get in tips they'll get their money back uh, I, that's wild but uh, I was going to say, I um, had actually been primed to know about the, uh, I guess, that business model for bands mm -hmm. from a show I watched recently. There's this anime called uh, Bochi the Rock. It's about a high schooler who joins a rock band. Part of the plot of that show is them just getting people to come to their concert so that they can cover the, the entry fee. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like very much rooted in that like shoes on the ground startup indie band perspective of the Tokyo music scene, mm -hmm. which I think Martin really focuses on in the book. Mm -hmm. So, and he and he mentions in the book, and I think this is sort of a testament to maybe just the passage of time uh, since its publication. But at multiple points throughout the book, he talks about anime as being a niche in the Japanese music industry that is like fairly obscure mm -hmm. to Western audiences. And I think just like the proliferation of streaming platforms and what have you uh, in the years since have, have changed that aspect of the industry more than anything. So that now if someone is familiar with Japanese music in the West, it is by all rights probably through uh, anime that they've heard it mm -hmm. but, uh, apart from that and certainly like as a document of its time and place uh, I think a lot of his like insights and recorded observations are uh, still very valuable mm -hmm. uh, did you think of anything else yeah so uh, the other thing the thing that did stick out at me was um, the part where they talk about like like a US like a small US band will come over and do our, like and do like a multi-stop like a self-paid tour through Japan and then they'll they'll like befriend a Japanese band and be like hey like why don't why don't you guys come over 
to the U.S. Like, we'll help you tour. You can either, like, you can even, like, co-headline with us or whatever. And then, you know, the Japanese band will be like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And then they get an email, like, two months later saying, hey, like, let's do this. And it's like, you know, the band members, like, they've got families. They work for, you know, they might have corporate jobs. And, like, in corporate Japan, you get, like, 10 days off a year. Right. So it's it's basically, it's like how much harder it is for a Japanese band to just be like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to take off, you know, I'm going to take a, this much time off and I'm just, I'm going to go do this. And that was just a cultural difference that just really struck at, like, stuck at me because, oh yeah, you know, like, even, the, you know, America's, America's got a lot of problems and that's not what this conversation's about. But, like, right. I feel like even, or at least considering our experiences within the workforce, you know, it's nothing for us to be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to take off, you know, I'll take off, like, these two or three days and we'll go do this. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like what we did for our special, for our special episode where we went to Chapel Hill or Carborough, whatever. Yeah. Like, it was nothing for me to be like, okay, well, I'm going to take off a couple days and, you know, I'll put together my sub plans and I'll go. Sure. So that was just like, that just really stuck out at me. As being like, no, like I, I legit can't get off work because I only get 10 days off of year and this is not how I'm going to use my 10 days. Or yeah. when you're asking me to do this does not fall within the 10, like within the federal holidays that I'm going to be able to get off of work. Right. Well, I'm, I think this book is definitely like very intriguing and it brings you up to snuff on a lot of really compelling aspects of uh, the global music industry in general and this uh, specific scenes in particular yeah like this is the book that if if i if somebody came to me and was like i would like to learn about music and other cultures um what books would you recommend i would i would give this book as a jumping off point and i don't know that i would even say like yeah you've got to read all of it i think you could be like you know you can flip through you can see like the the bands that he mentions and maybe kind of start there and then see where your spotify recommendations takes you so yeah that sounds good so once again, that was Quit Your Band by Ian F. Martin, which is a name. I I keep a media diary where every day I just jot down what, I guess, media I consume that day, be it video games, movies, books, TV shows. Whenever I log a book that I'm reading, I always include the author's name. Mm -hmm. So just over the course of reading a book across multiple days, I have all those occasions to like write down and note the author's name mm -hmm. which i think is really helping me be more cognizant of the people who write the stuff that i read mm -hmm. yeah. you call that a and, mediary uh, say what what'd you call it a mediary a media diary oh i thought you had like smushed those two words together oh no i, I i'm not that clever <laughs> well uh that um does it for books it seems for the moment so uh, you got your word totals ready to go well since we don't have the word total for this book do we just want to hold it off until next week that sounds fine like we can do an update at the beginning of the show and then an update at the end of the show yeah let's 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 go with that okay let's do that well uh, in that case then i'll just go ahead and talk to you about what the next thing we're going to be reading is okay uh, as our listeners will call uh on our next episode, we're going to be reading Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Yep. And uh, I've, I've gotten some progress in that, but I'll be working the next couple weeks to get it finished up. And at, beyond that, 
my next assignment for us to read is the novel by uh, Hank Green titled An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. An absolute. Now, is this Hank Green of like TikTok fame? Yes. Uh, so I <laughs> Was that a faux pas? With him. Whoa, what? Was that a faux pas? Am I supposed to know Hank Green from other things? No, no, no. He's very big on TikTok right now. <laughs> uh, I, I, I settled on this book. I had a couple others that I was mulling over, but I ultimately decided to go with this one. Are you familiar with Hank Green's, like, I guess, developing situation? Does he Hello? have cancer? Yes. Uh, recently, he came, he revealed the news that he has been diagnosed with uh, uh, lymphoma. Oh. I think Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh-huh. Now, he says it is very treatable and that he is currently like undergoing uh, chemotherapy like on a bi-weekly basis. Okay. So like once every two weeks. There, It's looking good, and he's staying optimistic about it. Uh, he's just, you know, so having to deal with the illness that comes from chemotherapy, but he's also using this as an opportunity to, like, educate people on the realities of chemotherapy and of cancer as an illness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So, I've, I've, I've been seeing his stuff on TikTok for a while, and I've been following him and his brother, John Green, on their Vlogbrothers YouTube channel mm-hmm. for the better part of a decade now. I think I started really watching them back when I was in grad school. Okay. So, back in 2014, thereabouts. So, yeah, they've been a, they've been a presence, even though I've, I've only ever read a couple of John Green's books. And I haven't read either of Hank Green's novels yet, but I know that they've gotten a lot of good word of mouth. The first of those, they're, they're, I guess, a duology at this point. I don't know if there's any future sequels planned, but uh, there's a, an absolutely remarkable thing and a beautifully foolish endeavor. Okay. And Absolutely Remarkable is the first book in the series, and that's the one that we'll be reading. Okay. Yeah, all right. Cool. So, right. so that sounds good. And uh, now I know you need to go out and get yourself some dinner. Yeah, I better do that. Yeah, and I got some plans for this evening, too, so I'll be heading out shortly. But uh, before we get on that, you want to let people know where they can uh, stay in touch? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Literally Club at Your Words Podcast. You can also find us on our website at yourwordspodcast.com. And you can send us a question, recommendation, or comment to yourwordspodcast at gmail.com. I really appreciate you getting on the horn with me this evening. I know you've been on the road and got a big day ahead of you tomorrow. So. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate you. Oh, uh, here's a quick thought. Um, did you have any books? Did you want to... Uh, did you have a pick for your um, bingo card? I don't because I don't... Because the book that we read for our challenge doesn't... Um, well, does it fulfill any of them? Okay, well, you've already got biography, which is... You might could put it down for history, since it's technically a history of Japanese music. True. Yeah, let's do that. Let's uh, put it. I'm gonna put it down for nonfiction history. Okay. Yeah. It's there's also an essay collection category, but I don't really know that any of these feel like essays. Right. So much. Yeah. Okay. So putting you down for quit your band under. What did I just say? Nonfiction history. Nonfiction history. Okay. Okay. What about you? Oh, I'm putting The Strange down under sci-fi. The Strange. And that's by Nathan Ballingrud? Yes. Okay. 
All right, and that one is for sci-fi. So you're still one away from a bingo. Okie doke. So okay, here it is. Nonfiction history. Yes, you've also still only got the one bingo. Yet. I think okay. you're still two off from your next one. Okie dokie. Now that takes care of that. And yep. this takes care of another episode of Your Words Against Mine. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I... Anything? Yeah. Yeah, you go. Nope, I'm done. Oh, okay. I'm done too. All We're right, done, cool. folks. All right, bye. Bye.